Famous Last Words sermon series. Uh, We've been looking and examining some of the main topics and issues that Jesus addressed when he knew that his time with his disciples was soon coming to an end. And his death was quickly approaching. And so his words to his disciples during this time are crucial for us to listen to. And the story that we're going to be looking at today takes place at a monumental moment in Jesus' life. Because he had just finished his last supper with his 12 disciples. And during their time together, he had literally washed the feet of all 12 disciples, washed 24 disgusting feet and legs. And he told them in the middle of that dinner, he stood up, he said, one of you 12 is going to betray me. And so they're all looking around, kind of wondering, my gosh, who's that going to be? So you can imagine kind of the intensity Um, the emotions that were probably going on in that time, probably some of the awkwardness being at that dinner. And then after some discussion, Jesus says, come now and let us leave. And he knows exactly where he's going. He's heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. He knew exactly where he was going. And as his disciples are on their way to the Garden, as they're journeying, uh, he begins to teach them. And this is the part of the story where we begin this morning. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Let's see what his first words were to his disciples as he was heading to the garden to be betrayed and arrested. I'm going to be using some material today from a great sermon I came across from a guy named Mike Breen that was really helpful in explaining some of this. John 15, verses 1 through 14. says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, your joy may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So in this passage, Jesus is essentially walking to his death. He knows that his time on earth is very short, and so if he's got something to say, if he's got anything to say to these 12 guys he spent the last three years of his life with, now is probably the time to say it. 
And out of every topic possible in the world that he could have talked about, the first thing he wanted to talk with him about was abiding in him, remaining in him, the vine. Because he knew his disciples were going to be tempted to do everything but that. They were going to be tempted to deny Christ. They were going to be tempted to get so caught up in doing good things to advance God's kingdom that they would lose sight of him. They were going to be tempted to turn their back on him in the midst of persecution living under the Roman Empire. And he's saying, guys, I want you to get this. I really, really want you to get this. And the emphasis is on that word remain. If you look closely, he uses that word 11 different times in this passage. Remain also uh, means abide, which is the, uh, the word I'll be using more of today. And what's interesting is, as he shared this, he spoke in a language in which they could easily understand. Because in that time, in this time and place, basically every Jewish household had a vine of some sort growing. And as they traveled to the garden, they probably passed numerous vineyards on their right and on their left. They could look up uh, on the walls of houses and see vines growing. <clears throat> and so he knew, his disciples knew the imagery he was using here, the botanical language, if you will, made sense to them. And they knew that vines grew for three years and that they were pruned back immensely during those three years before they were ever allowed to bear any fruit. Anybody own a vineyard here? Nobody, all right. They, were, they had to be pruned back for three years. So I could just make up a bunch of stuff about vines and nobody would know. I'm lying, basically. They were pruned back immensely for three years before they could uh, um, bear and produce any fruit. And then after three years... They were allowed to produce delicious grapes. So let's look closely again, verses 1 and 2, and read that again. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. <clears throat> so the father is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. And his disciples are the branches. And one commentator wrote, he wrote that Jesus the vine appears to stand between the gardener and the branches as a kind of mediator of life and sustenance. And I, I just love that. In other words, life and health come from abiding in the vine. And I think a, um, just a, a practical way to help us look at this is by looking at the fruit of the Spirit's passage. Pull that up. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And what bearing fruit is, bearing fruit is multiplying the life of Christ, those things that Christ fully lived out, multiplying those things in our life and into the lives of others. Uh, can you keep that up for a second? Because Jesus was the definition, his life was the definition of love. He was a perfect, he was the perfect example of kindness. <clears throat> he showed complete self-control, and everywhere he went, his gentleness was evident to others. And in this passage, Jesus is saying that those branches that don't bear any fruit, they've got to be cut off. Those part 
uh, those parts in our lives as disciples that don't reflect his glory, they got to be cut off. That, those crucial, uh, those critical words that we used towards our spouse or our children or our coworkers that stem from bitterness, it's got to be cut off. That greed and lust that drives us, it's got to go. <laughs> because the gardener, the father, knows that those branches are prone to spreading disease. And so they can spread that disease to other branches and affect the vine. And so these branches are cut off so that the hope and the, uh, the purpose, they can be cut off and so they can grow back in a way that will better portray those types of fruits, love and joy and peace. And then we're going to get to the part where we're going to focus our time today. And this is this concept of pruning. Then he goes on and says that he prunes back every branch that bears fruit so that it will be even more fruitful. And this concept of pruning and cutting back um, often gets a very negative connotation between a lot of Christians. Many Christians think that, you know, they prune back or they're asked to cut back, if you will, because of some sin or ineffectiveness in their life. And that's just not true. Basically, Jesus is telling them to surrender to the pruning, because pruning is um, something that should be happening on a regular basis. The purpose of this pruning is that so the areas of our life, whatever that be, um, could be a ministry that we lead or that we participate in, is that those things could be pruned back and cut back for a season so that they can grow back to produce even more fruit in time. You can take that verse down. And again, this is awesome too. The disciples knew, they would have known exactly the picture that he was painting with this idea of pruning vines. Because in the pruning process, after you pick off grapes from a vine, the branch is cut back to within uh, millimeters of the vine. Basically, it's become so small to where it's, it's pretty much invisible. And during the winter months, this is really awesome, the vine literally starts to grow around that little bitty nub that is now the branch. It's completely immersed in it. You can't even see the branch anymore. It's completely remaining and 100% abiding in the vine. And after the cold winter months, springtime comes forth, and the branch starts to grow, and those little Tiny green little tendrils start to shoot forth and grow in time and turn into a branch that's capable of producing fruit. And when we hear that in regards to a vine and branches and producing grapes, that makes sense when we think of it in agricultural terms or botanical terms. But we don't really, we struggle with understanding that in our own life and this idea of cutting back or stopping things, if you will. And we often squirm and fight against that. And this word for prune, this is cool, also means cleanse. To cleanse and cut back. And this can look a hundred different ways in our lives, and I want to give you some examples. It can include cutting back on ministry activities. And that might seem foreign to a lot of us to cut back on something that might be going well, maybe something you've been a part of or something that you're leading, to stop doing that for a season. Um, It can mean cutting back on Bible studies, service opportunities that you're doing, volunteering within the community, um, cut back on a small group that you've been a part of for a long time. And just like the branches, we have to be pruned back 
and have a season of pruning so that we can rest and abide and then be strengthened to go back out and produce more fruit. And the purpose of it is so that we can create some space in our life, something that a lot of us don't have, to where we can really hear the voice of God because we've stopped doing some things. And the struggle is that for most of us as Americans, it's really hard for us to stop doing something that's good. Um, It's really hard for us to push down on the brakes and just come to a halt and to enter a season of rest. We don't really give ourselves permission to rest and to abide and to um, create space to hear God's voice so we can receive from him. And on a personal level, I can say that I'm actually in a season right now of my life where I'm in a season of pruning. Um, For the past two or three years, I've led weekly and bi-weekly Bible studies and small groups here at Wellspring. And back in January, God started to tug on my heart, and I knew it was time to pull the plug on all of those. Um, Those are some hard conversations to have with some people that have been a part of those for two or three years. Um, God did great things through those small groups and studies, but I knew it was time for me to chill out and to enter a season where I could rest. So I've kind of stopped a lot of ministry activity. Um, I don't play in the drums. I don't play the drums quite as much as I used to every Sunday. And with my free time, I've been able to really connect and get to know some people that weren't even on my radar three to six months ago. I'm using this time to I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying and just really being attentive to people around me and what God's doing and how I can join him on that mission because I'm not so crowded doing 15 different things. And, you know, I know probably six months from now or so things are going to change. Things will pick back up. Life will get more demanding. Working here will get more demanding. But right now I'm really embracing this season of cutting back and just letting my soul be strengthened. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, there's a story like this, totally in the Gospels. Think about the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So him and his disciples feed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. So like, this much food feeds 5,000 people, which is insane. We can't even wrap our minds around that. And what's fascinating is after, after witnessing like probably the greatest miracle they've ever seen in their life, Jesus says, hey, you 12... Get in a boat right now and get out of here. And then Jesus just walks away by himself and just walks up to a mountain and starts to pray. And I was just like, that's crazy. And I started talking to, I was talking to Stacy Kearns and she, she goes, what do you think Wellspring would do if 5,000 people came to our service next Sunday? And so I started wrestling with that and I was like, man, things would get crazy. So I was, we were, we were kind of just going with this, like if 5,000 people showed up to our service or some church down the street, I was like, Probably leaders would be scrambling around trying to initiate a hundred different Bible studies. Got to get things going. Got to make people feel loved and connected. Got to ramp the band up. Got to pump up the children's ministry. Got to get some laser lights and some fog machine going. Spice it up. Might need a few disco balls back there in the prayer room for added effect. Uh, We really do need disco balls though. But that's not what Jesus did at all. Like... In the midst of extreme ministry success, way more success than any of us have ever seen, he just walked away. 
See ya. 5,000 people see ya. Just walked away, went up to a mountain by himself to just pray. And he just trusted that the father, uh, the gardener, would provide another season of fruitfulness in time. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 again. It says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, oh, sorry, I went too far. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And those, just those two short verses, again, we, uh, we see the phrase remain, remain in me and abide in me, abide in me four different times. And I think, I think the struggle for a lot of Christians is that we don't, we don't know what abiding looks like or what that even means. And I came across a really cool definition of that Greek word remain. And it said this. It says, to be in a state that begins and continues. To be in a state that begins and continues. To begin each day by listening to the voice of God and to continue throughout the day being attentive to what he's doing and what he's saying. Isn't that awesome? To begin each day listening to the voice of God and to continue throughout the day being attentive to what he's saying. And a lot of Christians, I've had a lot of conversations with people, they think of this abiding concept, they narrow it down to just having a quiet time, just, you know, 20 minutes before you go to work or 20 minutes before you go to bed or, you know, you pray or you lock yourself in your closet for 15 minutes and you read the Bible. And that's definitely a way to practice abiding. Like, we need that. I'm definitely not saying anything against that. But that's not the only way to abide. Because abiding isn't just a location, and that's huge. Abiding isn't just a location. As the definition said, it's a state. It's a state of mind and heart, living in awareness of what God is doing each day. Being attentive to what he's speaking to us and doing in others because we're observant and we're attentive to it so that we can better join him on his mission. And the struggle for us that live in America is that everything in our culture pushes us in the opposite direction of doing that, of slowing down, of stopping, of being attentive, of listening. So most of us don't have time to really abide, and we don't even know how to do it if we did have the time or space in our life to hear the voice of God. There's so much noise and chaos around us through television, computers, the radio going, the billboards on the roads, the magazines in the aisles, cell phones blowing up with phone calls and text messages. We have such a hard time focusing. And, you know, I'm guilty of living like this as well. Before I even started working on this sermon, I met with Bob last week, and we were just kind of talking about this idea of abiding. And For me, like, I know the first thing I need to do when I wake up is to just be still for, like, 10 minutes and just be reminded of how much God loves me. Because I know the second I walk out that door, I'm going to get bombarded with worries and fears and cares and phone calls from people who are hurting 
and the devil's going to try to do everything he can to bring me down. But you can ask my wife. When I get up in the morning, I'm ready to go and get to work. And it takes everything I have to not get up and start working, whether that's checking my emails, start preparing for a study that week, or start preparing for a sermon I got, you know, on this Sunday. It takes so much discipline for me to not do that. And I discovered Bob asking good questions, like he usually does. One of the, probably the root of that is because I crave approval from people so much. And honestly, like, I want you guys that call Wellspring home, I want you guys to think that I'm a hard worker. I want the top level of leadership here that has the power to hire and fire me. I want them to think that I earn my pay and that I'm, I'm worthy of being on staff here. And I do all this at the expense of not even taking care of my own soul. And I heard a story last week about um, a mother here in town that really rocked my world. This woman had had enough of the chaos and busyness in her life. The life that her and her husband had allowed to control their family by filling their schedule 24-7. They decided that 2014 was going to be a year that they pulled the plug on everything besides their jobs. So they pulled all three of their children out of all of their sporting activities for an entire year, which is huge. Yes, I get that. They could not take working and then having every night of the weekend, their weekends filled running all their children around to practices and games for four or five hours every night. In the midst of the chaos and doing cool things, letting their kids be physical and things like that, they had forgot what it looks like to even be a family. They forgot what it means to rest. They knew 2014 needed to be a year of abiding, of rest. And busyness stood in the way of them being disciples, and it stood in the way of them definitely being able to make disciples Because they didn't have quantity or quality time to spend with anyone, not even their own family. And I'm not standing here today trying to persuade you to pull your children out of sporting events. Please, it's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to quit all your Bible studies or anything like that. But when I heard that story, something inside my heart was stirred. Like, that is compelling. When someone stands up and says, I'm sick of living this way. Of just suffocating in my busyness, in my family. I can't even breathe. I was just like, literally, I mean, I went home and talked to my wife. I'm like, man, that is compelling. Like, I want, I want that, that freedom. I don't even have kids. Just like, when I have kids, I want, I want to be able to do something like that. To set those boundaries and say, we're going to stop. We're going to rest. And to set that example for your children. And I came across a piece of writing that I want to share with you guys today that kind of gives you um, a unique perspective to what we're talking about. The author's unknown, but it was definitely inspired by The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, if anyone's familiar with that book. And it's written from the perspective um, of a conversation taking place between the devil and his demons. And he's rallying his troops. And the assignment he gives them is to do all they can to steal time away from Christians by keeping them busy. Um, And here's what he says. This is what I want you to do, said the devil. Distract the Christians from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? shouted the demons. 
Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade the wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six to seven days each week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so that they can afford their empty lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still, small voice. Entice them to play the radio whenever they drive and to keep the TV, CDs, and computers going constantly in their home. This will jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted. Keep them too busy to go out in nature and reflect on God's creation. Keep them busy, busy, busy. Crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family for the good of the cause. Anybody relate to that a little bit? No? All right, you're all liars if you're not raising your hand. I don't think I have to convince most of us that we have an enemy that doesn't want us to rest. He doesn't want us to bear fruit. He doesn't want us to impact the lives of anyone around us. You know, and just as Jesus was walking to the garden to his death in John 15, he knew exactly what his followers in that time and place were going to be tempted with. He knew what they were going to be tempted with. They were going to be tempted to lose sight of him as their first priority and get caught up in the excitement of seeing the Christian message spread for the first time throughout their region. He knew their ministry success and activities could keep them so busy that they just started to rely on themselves and their own charisma to change the world. And in the midst of all their activity, they would be tempted to lose sight of the one to whom all glory is due. So what does abiding look like in your life? I'm going to give you some time to wrestle with that. What does abiding look like in your life? Are there some branches in your life that need to be cut off because they're not producing fruit? Are there areas of your heart that the father, the gardener, needs to cut off because they're not reflecting him? Is there some pride and jealousy and greed and lust in your heart that needs to be cut off because it's starting to affect those around you and spread that disease to the other branches? And there might be some people here today that just need to make some practical changes. Maybe the chaos... (laughs) of your life doesn't allow you to even hear the voice of God because of the busyness. Perhaps some of your church involvement needs to decrease. And yes, I'm saying that as one of the pastors. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe your church involvement needs to decrease so that you can actually spend some time with your family and rest. And maybe God has used you in great ways through a ministry for the past year or maybe several years, but he's asking you to cut back. He's asking you to cut back for a season and rest in him so that you can come back strengthened to produce even more fruit. Maybe your family is so ridiculous. I hear talks like this. Maybe your schedule with your family is so ridiculous 
that you've forgotten what it even looks like to have a conversation with your spouse that doesn't involve planning for tomorrow's activities for your children. And just as there's a rhythm of life for a branch and a vine, there's also a rhythm of life for us as his followers. There's going to be seasons where we need to abide and cut back and stop doing so many things. We need to cut back on ministry activities, cut back on service, cut back on maybe volunteering that we've been doing every week. And then there's going to be seasons where God calls us to produce a lot of fruit, and we are going to be pretty busy. And he wants to really use us to impact other people around us. It could be through discipling, service, being in a leadership role here at the church. So what season do you find yourself in right now, in the present moment? What season do you find yourself in? Is God calling you to enter a season of abiding? Is it time to slow down from the ministry activities that you're a part of, or maybe the things that you're leading, so that you can create some space in your life to actually hear God's voice and rest? Is he calling you out? Maybe maybe you have been resting. Is he calling you out now and asking you to do something, to start producing some fruit? To start impacting people's lives. Maybe he's asking you to start something. What's God doing in you currently? And what's the next step you need to take in that process with whatever season you might find yourself in? Because it's going to be different for each of us. I want to give you guys some time to wrestle with that. And as we come to the communion table today, we have the opportunity to go back in time into that story in John 15. And picture Jesus in the garden there being betrayed by one of his closest friends and arrested and eventually led to his death. And our hearts are saddened by what he had to go through, but we can also rejoice because we now have life through him and forgiveness. And we can find true rest now and strength for our souls through him. I want to give us a couple minutes or so to really wrestle with that and what God's speaking to you. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have a few minutes of silence. And as you come forward and dip the bread and the juice, just remember that sacrifice for you and how true rest can only be found in Him. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing that's right. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. In John 15, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God. Use this time for us to be attentive to what you're saying, God. I know some of us, you're asking to slow down and to stop doing something and to rest. And others of us, God, you're calling out to get busy impacting people's lives, God. God, show each of us where we are in that process, and and what season you want us to, to enter into, God. Jesus, everything we do, the fruit that we produce, the abiding that we do, it is all for your glory. Let, let every word that we speak, every action, God, that we, that we make, God, reflect your love, God, so that we can multiply your fruit, love, joy, and peace, and kindness into the world, and into others around us. So God, we give you this time, and I I pray that you would speak clearly to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.